The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 82. I'm a doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years. I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Shush. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. Today we're discussing the classic second Doctor story, The Tomb of the Cybermen. Joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Sika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. So I just want to take a moment before we begin, folks, to recommend, I've been doing this lately, is recommend that you check out our other shows at sqpn.com. If you listen to The Secrets of Doctor Who, you're probably interested in some of our other shows, like uh, StarQuest Headlines, which is a daily two-minute uh, quick podcast of four, three or four headlines of interest to folks who'd like the sorts of things that we like. Uh, give it a listen, and you might be the sort of thing you'd like. Uh, also, Secrets of Movies and TV Shows. And uh, look for our new shows. We've got a couple new shows coming up. They might already be out. The Catholic Traveler with Mountain Buterak, who's an American living in Rome. And Pilgrim Life, which is about uh, its hosts are Deborah Shaben and Sandra Garazar, who they, they are pilgrims. They take lots of pilgrimages, but they also talk about how we can all sort of live the pilgrim life where we're always on a journey. Uh, so I just want to recommend and those. And Jimmy? And by the way, be sure and like, comment, and subscribe. Hit bells for notifications. And please uh, share our podcast with other people mm -hmm. on social media so uh, more people can uh, experience them. We really appreciate that. And it takes only a moment to hit that share button. Very important to, to spread the word because we're trying to reach a lot of people. We want to reach as many people as we can with what we do here. We enjoy doing this, but we do it because mm -hmm. we want to you know, make a connection with folks uh, out there. So thank you very much for that. So the Tomb of the Cybermen, uh, yeah. Patrick Troughton, the second doctor. Uh, this is the first story of season five of Doctor Who, of the right. classic season mm -hmm. five. It's, so it's, it's, it's his uh, first episode of his first full season. And it's, he came in halfway through the fourth season. Right. And it's the it's the earliest second doctor story to survive in its entirety. Uh, right. And uh, let's see, it was recovered in the, um, let's see, it, 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 it was recovered in the early 90s. Um, and until the recovery of the Enemy of the World in 2013, it was the only complete serial from season mm -hmm. five. Uh, so, uh, again, I'm reminded of, you know, the, and these days everything is, you know, <laughs> in reruns and you can mm -hmm. download it from Netflix. But I'm reminded once again of how with early Doctor Who, how much has been lost or is sitting in some vault still somewhere to be discovered, we hope. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, it, it, that we should treasure the ones we do have uh, still access to. Um, so this one was broadcast in September of 1967, and it's four episodes. It's a four-episode serial story uh, featuring Patrick Troughton. And his campaigns for this one are uh, Jamie, uh, the, the 17th century... Uh, Scotsman traveling with the doctor mm -hmm. and uh, who's a, a woman who's apparently Victoria. a new, yeah, she's a new yeah. companion. Uh, Victoria. Yeah, Vic 
Victoria is from the 19th century, and she's an English woman, a young English woman, just like Jamie's basically a teenager. Um, but uh, her father, despite the fact he was living in the 19th century, invented a time machine <laughs> and made contact with the Daleks, just like everybody who invents a time machine does. Mm. And that led to his death, which led to Victoria traveling with the doctor. And so okay. she's brand new on the TARDIS. She's just settling in. Um, she's just learning about the doctor for the first time, which leads to a, uh, very interesting revelation. Now, at this point, we don't know the name Gallifrey. We don't even know the name Time Lords. We just know mm -hmm. the doctors from another planet. But in this episode, for the very first time, uh, we have a mention of the doctor's age. And he reveals mm -hmm. that at this point in his life, he's 450 Earth years old. Right. And that's yep. that's a little it's surprising. I mean, we knew that the first doctor was elderly. I mean, it's obvious, uh, mm -hmm. although uh, I'm still put out by the fact that um, uh, that in real life, he was only six years older than I am now. Uh, and that makes me very unhappy because <laughs> I don't feel or look elderly, I hope. Uh, but 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 yeah, we find out that the doctor is truly alien in this in that he's 450 years old. Um, mm -hmm. So are we? Since it's the second doctor, so after his first regeneration, uh, we're to assume then that, and, and this I think it bears out in later in New Who, mm -hmm. that the doctor, even between regenerations, is essentially, you know, essentially immortal in the sense of long lived. Um, yeah, well, right. yeah, there's there's a line somewhere. I, I don't think it's on television, but there's a line in, in one of the transmedia um there's uh a line that says like uh, a time lord barring accidents or things could live to be like 10 12,000 years old you figure like mm. a thousand years per lifetime because okay. they do eventually age within a given regeneration as we right. saw with matt smith right yep. and, and so given and given that the second doctor we've he's only just regenerated and in that time period he hasn't gone off to do things he's had the same companions with him so most so we assume that most of that 450 years was the first doctor. Right. Assume, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And later media establishes that uh, the first doctor didn't even start traveling till he was around 200 years old, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. um, one interesting thing about, you know, so Jamie is a the 17th century Scotsman. Victoria is a 19th century uh, you know, young woman uh, from England. And it, it brings up something we've said before, which is I really wish New Who would follow this, you know, th this idea mm -hmm. and 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 you you know, bring on campaigns who aren't 21st century London women, <laughs> women living yeah. in London. You know, let's exactly. see something new and interesting from you. You know, go to different time periods with campaigns like 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 classic Who did. Uh, yeah. But ha ha having companions for different time period brings new perspectives on things. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. The fact yeah. the fact that Jamie is from 17th century Scotland is very relevant to him as a character in the way he approaches things. The fact right. that Leela was from a warrior culture, mm -hmm. a primitive warrior culture, totally affected the way her character approached things. And it was awesome. Yeah, yeah. I I've, I've seen I this. Is, this is now my second serial with Jamie. And because we. We'd previously seen the war games and I really like him. I think he's a great yeah. companion. Oh, he's, he's fun because he gives it right back to the doctor. Yes. Yeah. The doctor gives him guff and he gives it right back. Yeah. I I, go ahead. I was going to say, I think the fear though, 
with New Who doing something like this is what we saw with the when they brought back the first doctor for the Christmas special. Yeah. That they make them characters of who they really were at that time. Yes. You know, people from the 17th century had a very different view of some issues, moral view of some issues that are viewed, you know, things that are considered acceptable today in the 17th century would have been unthinkable. Right. And vice versa. Yeah. And, 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 vice versa. and they couldn't depict these characters realistically without having feeling the need to comment on and disapprove exactly. of their attitudes exactly. towards things. Whereas here they have a tolerant attitude. Yeah. Jamie is overprotective of women. Big deal. Get over it. It's right. not a crisis. Yeah. It's it's just the way he was raised. Fine. Exactly. Um, now, they could avoid that, as we've commented, by going to future and alien cultures mm -hmm. where they don't have to have pre-programmed human historical attitudes towards it, things. And they could still example Captain Jack Harkness. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. Leela again. Yeah. Um, incidentally, I wanted to comment on uh, Jamie and the doctor. Uh, as we mentioned, Jamie, before Sarah Jane Smith, was the most popular companion from Doctor Who history. He was also the longest running. He was basically mm -hmm. there through, with the exception of one story, he was there through all of Patrick Troughton's uh, reign. Mm -hmm. um, and he and the Doctor have this great dynamic. They're basically like brothers. The right. Doctor is like the older brother, Jamie's the younger brother, and, they're, and they squabble with each other despite the fact they love each other. Um, mm -hmm. There's also a neat bit where uh, in this episode, they're, they're headed, the two, the, main entryway to the tomb of the Cybermen has just been opened and all of the characters are starting to come towards the camera and enter the the facility and the doctor reaches back to hold Victoria's hand and Jamie takes his hand and as soon as the doctor realizes it he like <laughs> thrusts Jamie's hand away that was good that was great. It's just a great bit of comic business between the characters I'm sure that was not scripted so let's uh, let's kind of give a like a, a brief synopsis of what this ep this story is about um the TARDIS arrives on a planet called Telos where in uh, which is the Greek word for end or goal, right? Yeah. Tell us. Yeah. The ultimate the end. end. Yep. The ultimate it end. It can also mean goal. Yeah. Uh, and where an archaeological expedition from Earth is led by this Professor Parry. Uh, they're trying to uncover the lost tomb of the Cybermen. Um, they, the, the doctor shows up at the right time to help them actually enter this, the, the, the tombs, um, this, which is part of this buried city. Um, and there are these, 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 uh, members of this expedition, Kleeg and Kaftan, who have their own agenda to revive the Cybermen and use them to uh to to, to give them power to, to uh, make a better world. To make a yes, we we haven't seen that uh, very often. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the the usual <laughs> yeah. the well, usual chaos ensues. So that's sort and, of and how it Klieg, goes. Kleeg and Kaftan also have clout in this expedition even though they're not scientists because they're funding it. Right. Yep. Right. Um that's an important point. So I have to admit, I, you know, just from when I grew up, the anytime I hear a plot line that's, you know, somebody wanted to take over the world, all I can think of is, what are we going to do tomorrow, brain? That's right. Uh, that's a line that the kids in my house know without ever having watched Pinky in the Ring, because my wife and I <laughs> say it all the time. Uh, interesting. It's a it's a multinational um expedition you have mm -hmm. uh you have uh, someone from wales you have uh brits you have i'm not sure where Kleeg is from but he's got some 
vague German East, of yeah, some kind. Eastern see, accent, Eastern European you know, accent. It, it's supposedly German, but he almost looked Indian to me. Mm-hmm. Or Turkish, it, almost. It there was is a, the future. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, there was a sort of, uh, you know, east, you know, somewhere east of the Rhine, yeah. let's say. Um, uh, the American, the, the the so very American captain of the spaceship. Yeah. I mean, there's <laughs> like two, two Americans. And yeah. What I noticed about them, and not only are they, I have a note that they're cliched extra Americans, um, but they have this accent that it's like who what american ever talks like that <laughs> the only place i've ever seen people talk like that is in like movies from the 1930s and 1940s right and i can only assume that that's what's influencing the way this guy talks because yep. i don't know any region of america that's had that i i guess maybe that was a kind of theatrical way of speaking that in early talkies actors were taught to use but kind of a um, kind of a fl- over overly flat yeah yeah also though it's inconsistent because uh you have the american at one point say i brought these anoraks and like that's a totally british term americans yep. won't even know what anoraks are yeah it's, it's a parka like a, 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 yeah <laughs> a winter coat <laughs> um so I also love the fact that this archaeology expedition with doing archaeology by dynamite. <laughs> We're blowing the half the mountain off so we can get into the uh, into the dig. Uh, that is that is not exactly how we do archaeology. Uh, it's like, as my note was, it's more like an unruly mob than scientists. Like they, they're all kind of bickering mm-hmm. with one another, making bets on who would open the door. Um, one poor schlub says I'll open the door runs up and grabs the things electrocuted uh because yeah. it's it's booby trapped uh, which is an interesting um uh, dramatic element because it re- immediately sets us on edge like oh mm-hmm. this there's something go like cuz we see this pictographs of cybermen ev- everywhere so we know mm-hmm. that c- cyber from the 10th planet we know that cybermen are the are bad guys but also with this booby trap we know something you know this is a dangerous place for our characters we even get a shot of the guy's really gross electrocuted hand. Too. Oh yeah, that yeah. was that was yeah. gra- pretty graphic. Um, since since you mentioned Dom, um, the Cybermen logos and and stencils that are all over the place, it's like, what is the point of those? If you're a Cyberman, <laughs> why do you want to put pictures of a Cyberman all over everything? I mean, there's one table they're sitting at where there are four Cyberman head stencils. You know, painted onto the table. Merchandising. Like, I'm a human. Exactly. I'm a human. I'm a human being, and we don't have human faces printed all over everything. Well, well maybe that's the Cyberman version of family photos. <laughs> maybe, but you'd think that they. I mean, they they're supposed to be emotionless. They wouldn't care for this stuff. You know, see, that's the thing. Is that originally I thought it was this was somebody else's. Like um, somebody else had entombed them. And this was like 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 pictographic warnings of mm-hmm. this is where the Cybermen are entombed, mm-hmm. and this is where we experimented on the best weapons to destroy Cybermen, and that's where mm-hmm. I thought they were going with some of this stuff. So that turns out not to have been the case, I, I guess. But yeah. but but that was the yeah. confusing thing. Yeah, the the uh, Cybermen exactly. say that because of the Doctor's interference in the Moon Base, which is another story we saw, they stopped getting supplies and parts and had to go dormant and then wait mm-hmm. for someone to 
come and wake them up. And um, they set these traps to ensure that only smart people would wake them up so <laughs> so that um, they could then cyberize the smart people and take advantage of their smartness. Ah, uh, yes. The smart people who went and dug up Cybermen on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> you know, exactly. there are Cybermen warning stencils all over everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so gullible smart people. I, I get that. So or smart people who think that they can do better than the Cybermen. Yeah. I, I do want to get to the Brotherhood of the Logicians uh, in a bit because I, I really want to tear that apart. But they, they, they do they actually say at this point, I thought I heard them say that Telos is the origin of the Cybermen. Is, is that what did they say that? Because my understanding is the 10th planet is the origin of the Cybermen. Mondas is the origin. And this this caused a a long-running discussion in fandom about is maybe Mondas is Telos by another name or, you know, they're really the same planet. Right. Um, The the dilemma was solved in uh, at the end of the 12th Doctor's time when he said that Cybermen originate all over the place. Anytime humans start getting technology, you get Cybermen. So they've originated on Mondas and Telos. He mentions both of those by name as well as other places. Yeah, because uh, it's, it you know, uh, the professor, Professor Perry says, but of course, Telos was their home. This is the entrance to their city. And the doctor doesn't respond. No, they're from Mondas. Yeah. yeah. This is just sloppy writing on the part of the show's creators in pre VCR days where nobody could go back and look at the 10th planet and say, well, wait, what about Mondas? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause I, 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 I can buy that, you know, cybernetic organisms, you know, a pop up on, a, uh, you know, wherever he, there are humans, but in the same form, they like the, they always look the same with the, the handle Habar head and the, that's mm-hmm. the part I was like, whoa. Yeah. That's so much. And they always call themselves Cybermen, not Org. Yeah. Org or whatever. Yeah. Now, I guess what I could say is, is Mondas is where they originated, but you know, but to call Telos their home, it's where they went after Mondas, maybe. You know, I could I could buy that. I could make that headcanon and made yeah, it their home. Acor- except according to Peter Capaldi's doctor, they originated in both places. Yeah. Mm. Thanks for messing that up, uh, Moffat. Your own headcanon, whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. Blame Stephen Moffat. I'll blame him. For we me, all do. just remember, Kamika is really River Song having a goof on the doctor. Yes. I'll in s- the Aztecs. <laughs> I, I, I've made that into my headcanon. Um, I do have a note that the doctor dragged a reluctant Victoria into Telos. Like she didn't want to go in. Uh, mm-hmm. And you, you mentioned how he reached back to grab the hand and he grabbed Jamie's uh, by mistake. But um, but he kind of drags her in. Uh, you know, this mm-hmm. this young lady, 19th century, all this is ah, brand new. And and for her first trip. And he and I felt bad for her because, yeah, like, she's like, I don't know if I want to do this. Like, well, you're coming. And he's going to. Drags into this dangerous situation. I thought that was kind of odd. On one level, it's kind of defensible because if she's going to be a companion, she's going to need to face danger. And she's Mm -hmm. also going to need to stick with the doctor because she's safer with him than away from him. That's Mm -hmm. true. Uh, As we know from companion separation syndrome. Uh, We need need to avoid separation. (laughs) In fact, that's what happens almost immediately is, you know, they they all start exploring the different uh, aspects of this. underground city the tomb and we can cover so much more ground if we all split up yeah because that always works out so well when we're <laughs> if we all split up so kaftan the, this woman uh who's on the expedition funding it somehow um goes off with she kind of volunteers to go with victoria and and 
at one point it's Victoria Kafton and this guy Viner who he's kind of hysterical. Like, like, like he's kind of always like, oh, oh no, everything is falling apart. Oh, it's very dangerous. He's kind of like freaking out the entire time they're in there. <laughs> this guy needs to take a pill. Um, but like Kafton, like they go into the, the uh, cyber conversion room. And Kaftan kind of surreptitiously tries to turn the machine on while Victoria is looking at things. Like, is is she trying to like cyberize Victoria surreptitiously? It's it's not clear to me what exactly she's doing, but she I think I mean really what's happening on the narrative level is they're establishing for the audience that Kaftan is evil. Right. Yeah. Um doesn't her name I mean, isn't that like a, a a rug that, or a blanket you throw on a on Afghan? a couch or something, yeah. Afghan? No, <laughs> something like that. A caftan is a, a variant of the robe or tu- of a robe or tunic, and has been worn by several different cultures around the world for thousands of years, mm. according to Wikipedia. Yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, the the writer of this episode, who uh, let's get it right, Kit Pedler and Jerry Davis, uh, they <laughs> I think they just went to the dictionary and found some interesting uh, words that they could use because Klieg is a kind of light, uh, which is light, probably named yeah, after yeah. a guy named Klieg. But the Klieg lights yeah. used on stage. Uh, so not not the most original uh, names. <laughs> by, by the way, while we're at this early part of the episode or the story, <clears throat> um, I like how when uh, number one, Patrick Troughton is so charming. Yes. He's mm-hmm. much better. Now, we already talked about his debut story, Evil of the Daleks, where he's acting bizarre following the yep. regeneration. This, though, is what he's like all the time after he's regenerated. Mm-hmm. So you have the initial regeneration madness episode where he's less likable, but normally he is just this charming. And that's why the show survived. Because it was on the bubble and it was how charming Patrick Troughton was that oh, saved yeah. it. Um, now, uh, I like when they're preparing to come into the tomb, where the main entrance. And, um, and one of the characters, I think it's Professor Perry, um, says that, uh, that the doctor has archaeologists written all over him. And Patrick Troughton says, delightedly, does it show? And, <laughs> and, and it's like so different than Matt Smith's doctor's reaction. I laugh at our, or David Tennant's, I'm sorry. I laugh at archaeologists. And then River Song says, River Song, archaeologist, pleased to meet you. And so it was like, he's had a revolution in attitudes on archaeology. Right, right. Yeah. That's, it's one of the things that actually I kind of um, occurred to me as I was watching this episode is how very different, like how hard it is for me to reconcile that this doctor is the same as Matt Smith or uh, uh, P- Peter Capaldi, that it's the same mm-hmm. person. I mean, the, because the personality changes. And, and sometimes when I, as I watch these classic episodes, I'm like, it's really hard for me to reconcile, like just and. Well, and of course, that was the big thing of when they did yeah. bring on Patrick Troughton. The personality shift was so extreme from cranky William Hartnell. Right. Yes. You know, and that, that was kind of one of the, the big risks that they took. And by the way, it was Power of the Daleks, not Evil of the Daleks. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, you know, I, and they played that out in that episode where they made him so that he was kind of mysterious and not quite sure what's going No one really knew what was going on. And again, you can imagine watching it back then. Really not sure what was going on. What was happening? Was this a new person altogether? Is this a different character now? Is it the same character in a different face? You know, 
So, yeah. and of course, and again, now we've got 50 some years worth of Doctor Who where there's been this many changes. Right. And yet another one we're looking forward to finding out about here shortly. So, um, we 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 get the the revelation of this of the dastardly plan by Kleeg and Kafton. They are part of the 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 Brotherhood of Logicians, the greatest intelligence that man has ever assembled. They're also very humble. Um, yeah, yeah. I, it, I love I love the fact that Kaftan is a woman and she's a member of a brotherhood. Exactly. And I know a, a team of Morris dancers in Northern California. That's the uh, Deer Creek Morris men. Yep. It's a men's team. But you can be a Deer Creek Creek Morris man if you're the wife or girlfriend of one of the other Morris men. So there are female <laughs> Morris men there. Okay. That's funny. <laughs> so, but I like the idea. Like there's like logicians are the most you know the, the the smartest people, and you know in in the third Doctor Regeneration story, it's mathematicians who are the greatest uh, minds. And I, I just kind of love like in the in the classic who like the, this. It, it was in the fourth Doctor Regeneration, you know, in the Tom Baker's first episode where we had, um, you know, the Society of Scientists and they're they're all utopians and they're all mm -hmm. we're going to fix the world through the use of logic and science. And it just they're just more fascists. They're just the same old mm -hmm. totalitarian impulses as before. And it's it's kind of funny to see how they they keep kind of for a show that's about science you know, in a sort of extolling science, mm -hmm. putting a pin in the worst excesses of scientists and, and of science, tis, scientism, shall we say. Well, I, I really wonder if it re, if it's a reaction against everything that, of course, with World War II and the bombs and the Cold War was at its height at this point, and all of that could be traced to science. You know, the bomb was developed because of scientists, because of people like this. Right. You know, whether or not, you know, whether or not they, they, they were megalomaniacs, I would assume, but they were still very much, you know, logic and science and the pursuit of science and all that, you know, where we could kind of see this is almost a reaction to that. Yeah, it's a cautionary tale based on a kind of naive 19th century optimism about progress. Right. And and the 20th century really undermined that. Mm -hmm. um, I, I find it funny um, because I'm, you know, my academic training is in philosophy. So I've taken courses mm -hmm. in informal logic and symbolic logic. Oh, yes. And and it's fun for me to see like Mr. Spock and these guys and how logic is supposed to be the master key to everything. And it's like, guys, garbage in, garbage out. Exactly. Log logic does not tell you, you start, which premises are true. It just tells you what you can derive from. Your, your, your symbolism fails when you have the first when the first premise is faulty. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, you fact, can have a perfectly logical symbolism, but you can yeah. be starting. You know, false premise: the sky is green today. Right. You know, the whole thing's faulty. And in fact, <laughs> symbolic logic is a, is a, a big part of this episode of, of how they're. They're, because the Cybermen are computers, essentially, that we were sort of given this idea that logic governs how, their language and how all of mm -hmm. their equipment works. And therefore, they they use symbolic logic to decipher how the different uh, tools, the different computers and consoles work. Yep. Except they don't. Right. <laughs> it's not real <laughs> symbolic logic. They just, right. 
have that in the dialogue. Frankly, it sounded more like basic programming. If C equals two and X equals four, then Y, you know, it's yeah. it sounds more like they're doing basic programming language. Yeah, there's a little bit of um, a binary code uh, in there, like the, the zeros and ones and that sort of thing. Yep. Um, I just thought the thing about the Brotherhood of Logicians, it kind of occurred to me, like <clears throat> you, you call yourselves the greatest intelligence on Earth. But if you think you can use the Cybermen to get power, then by by definition, logically speaking, you are not the greatest human intelligence yeah, on Earth. Exactly. There's, your fault, there's your faulty premise. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so they. By the way, I, I, I thought it was interesting uh, just again about the beginning of this where they're preparing to come in and the doctor. In this episode, we don't have TARDIS separation. They could go to the TARDIS at any time, mm -hmm. but they don't because the doctor realizes they're going to try to wake up the Cybermen. And he says a line, I forget the exact line, but it's like that word just changed what I'm going to do when they mention the word Cyberman. Um, and I'm going, okay, You've already seen the giant stencils of the full body Cyberman here. You mm -hmm. didn't need them to mention that. And he's apparently staying just to keep them out of to save them. But it's like, why isn't he at least trying to warn them away from this place? Right, right. I found the the reference, actually. It says, um, uh, I'm a let's see. I'm afraid that became impossible the moment that name was mentioned. He says uh, about yeah. you know, about leaving. What name says Victoria Cyberman? And then Victoria's a Cyberman. What are what are they? Um, Here's some helpful exposition. <laughs> we must stay, uh, he says. Um, oh, must we? I don't like the look of those things at all. We must. We shall stay and help you with your search. I mean, there's sort of this. Oh, well, I guess we have to stay. Um, I just also noticed that um, Perry does tell Jamie at one point. Um, Talos was their home. This is you, you, Jamie says. You yep. mean to say they came from here? And Parry does say, but of course, they came from there. So. Yeah. Yeah. I also like a bit of dialogue that I think follows what you just read, where um, one of the characters says to the doctor, we don't want your help. And he says, you so obviously do. <laughs> yes. and I, I, I like the, the play on want. Yeah. There's actually <laughs> a, want, want used to mean need. Right. Not yep. Desire. Right. Uh, and in fact, um, it sort of plays like that. That is a classic doctor response, sort of. Um, throwing like I don't want what you well you know, of course you do like sort of that I you know you don't realize it but you really do need, want my yeah. help um, you don't realize it now but you will <laughs> yeah exactly um so uh they they've been exploring this the, the areas they can get to um Jamie and this other fellow find this other room where there's a uh it's like a weapons testing chamber. And this mm -hmm. other fellow stands in front of the wrong place and gets gets zapped in the back. I mean, they really play. I, I kept thinking to myself, stop playing with the things. These are dangerous artifacts. Don't just yeah. flip them on and off. I mean, you know, and of course, this, this fellow gets killed. They figure out how to there's one ear they can't get to. They figure out how to open this hatch um, mm -hmm. and they, they descend into this area. That's it's basically the big the big freezer where the Cybermen are kept uh, kept on ice. Um, and. I think it's Klieg that ends up, you know, uh, defrosting them, and they mm -hmm. emerge from these cocoon or or really womb like chambers, yeah. and it's really like the, they're like the like babies being born. 
Uh, it's like watching eggs hatch, kind yeah. of, mm-hmm. and only they're transparent, so you can see the Cyberman on the other side as it's breaking out. And this is a, and you just see this big. It's not a honeycomb, but it's kind of like that. You have just these mm-hmm. chambers, you know, in a square grid, each one of which has a Cyberman breaking out. And this is a classic image from Doctor Who. For if people remember nothing else about Tomb of the Cybermen, mm-hmm. this is the image they remember: is of the Cybermen breaking out. Right. Yeah. Right. Because uh, it's very creepy. Um, and we get for the first time, because uh, the Cybermen have been uh, have appeared a few times, but for the first time we have the Cyber Controller, uh, yeah. which, which is sort of the nerve center of the Cybermen. He's sort of, he's the brain that controls things. And literally, I mean, we he's got this big transparent dome on his head with blood vessels going up it. So you, yep. it, it's he's got to be the smartest one because he's got the biggest brains, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. Also, also for the first time, we get Cybermats. Yes. Um, and uh, for people who may not be aware, those are small mechanical creatures that the Cybermen use to attack people and do various things. They their their design is kind of like a horseshoe crab. Um, yeah. kind of like a pill bug, kind of like a um, rat, kind of like a rat. And in fact, yeah. in, uh, in spare parts, the audio play yeah. where they go back to Mondas, um, one of the characters we meet is a mat catcher instead of yep. a rat catcher. Yeah. And, um, and I find it interesting that when the doctor sees them here, he has to look them up in a book and he finds them incredibly fast. And I'm a little surprised that he just happens to have a book on him that contains information about Cybermats. Well, he could right. use his, use his smartphone because that hadn't been invented yet. So he had to yeah. use something. Could yes. Google them. He, he Googled them in his book. Um, and when the doctor and the cyber controller, they run into each other. You mentioned before they, they mentioned this uh, moon base that their their supply of replace of replacement parts had been interrupted. And that's why they attacked the moon base. What what was that from? Was that from a second Doctor story? Yes. Yeah. Um, that was, if memory serves, the second appearance of the Cybermen um, after the 10th planet, where they, which was it's their first appearance. just called the moon base. The moon base. Yeah. Okay. And that's when we don't have. Um, Correct. In video form. In video form. Okay. Um, you know, it seems like we get, the, you know, with, <clears throat> excuse me, the 10th planet. Um, was you know the middle of this of the fourth season the and <coughs> the 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 regeneration of the first Doctor, and now we've had the Cybermen show up several times in rapid succession. Was was this a, a deliberate choice by the showrunners to to kind of bring in another long mm-hmm. you know big mm-hmm. enemy, not to replace the Daleks but to kind of supplement yeah. them. Very definitely. They tried out a number of concepts um, to in the early years to try to find recurring villains Mm -hmm. like the Daleks. They wanted I mean, Daleks went huge. Daleks are the reason that the show survived beyond its its initial 13 week Mm -hmm. run. And um, and they were on always on the lookout for what can be the new Daleks in particular, because. Terry Nation, who created the Daleks, retained a lot of creative rights regarding just, them. And if they, they could, were, they, you know, they want to make sure that if if the, he decided to pull the Daleks for some reason, which would be stupid on his part, because where yeah. would he sell them to? But if he decided to pull them for some reason, 
they had to have something to fall back on. Right. Yeah. And so so they tried a number of unsuccessful recurring villains, including the Crotons and the Chumleys and things like that, which were kind of cheap robotic. And they all tended to be robotic. Uh, mm-hmm. They were kind of robotic, the quarks, uh, r- robotic Dalek ripoffs that didn't look like Daleks. And that's part of why they didn't succeed. They didn't look or act like Daleks. And then the Cybermen, another robotic type thing, did succeed in becoming not as popular as the Daleks, but the next best thing to Daleks. Which is kind of funny. You talk about the, the uh, they all tend to be robots. It's kind of funny given that uh, the original uh, uh, um, executive at the BBC who wanted to start uh, Doctor Who, did, Sidney did, Newman, Sidney Newman decreed there no robots, <laughs> no, and and no robot robot monsters. monsters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got lots of robots though. So. Um, I think one reason for that is robots, because they are covered in flat planes and mechanical stuff, it's easier to make lots of costumes for them. Yep. Right, right. And they were probably very common in, in a lot of uh, sci-fi at the time. Um, mm-hmm. So I want to mention one character we haven't mentioned now, uh, it's up to now, is uh, this character Toberman, um, yeah. who, who is a, <laughs> a, a, a black black guy. I don't you would say African American today, except he's not American; he's British. Yep. <laughs> I, I find yeah. that an insufficient term, but he's uh, he's a, a, a black man, very big guy, and he's um, Klieg and Captain's manservant in a sense. He's the classic, you know, man of few words and all muscle. Really uh, few words. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for a while, I was wondering, is this guy mute? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He doesn't <laughs> say much uh, at all uh, in this episode, and. Um, and so he's sort of their muscle, I guess. Like he's he's come along to, you know, for whatever reason they brought him maybe to be the muscle against the rest of the expedition or something. But he gets into this uh, fight with the Cybermen when they when when they um they try to upgrade or cyberize the, the expedition. And they partially upgrade him. Right. They, he's he's got. We don't see it at first, but he's got a Cyberman arm now. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's this there's this, cl- this great fight um, where uh, you know the we see the you very clearly see the wire harness uh, attached oh, yes. to the actor as the Cyberman lifts him in the air and throws him across the room. Uh, just I mean it's you know it's 1967. They didn't have they can't paint this and, out in CGI. And, and then later, when Toberman picks up himself, picks up the cyber controller and throws him, it's very obviously a dummy, and its head falls off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, he he kind of takes the cyber the cyber controller off screen, and then comes back carrying him, uh, which yeah, is yep, great. Exactly. Uh, so um, uh, then um, I, I did notice one part. So in the testing chamber, like the weapons testing chamber, uh, Klee gets a hold of this cyber gun. Um, and this mm-hmm. is the, 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 what he uses, he's going to use this to take control of the situation, he, to get, take control of the expedition, also to take control of the Cybermen and make them do his bidding. And he shoots this gun and it like burns part of the set. And I, did you notice like, this was like burning the set. Like this, this, yeah, this, yeah. this was it not a small fire. A while. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, is this supposed <laughs> to be burning that much? Is, is Hello, is nobody paying attention? I just was kind of waiting for the scene to cut. So they could, when the guy comes in with the extinguisher. Um, Another uh, dangerous device that they find in the cyber layer is a hypnotizer screen. Mm-hmm. And and one of the things I found really interesting about that is whenever they turn on the hypnotizer screen, it shows a different pattern 
it's not the same pattern over and over again, mm-hmm. which would yeah. be the cheap production way to do it. Yep. Um, instead, it it keeps changing the pattern, which means they were going above and beyond what they had to production wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I like that. There's also a great bit of Jamie here. Yeah. With this, there's this classic thing that Jamie would do. Um, someone is talking about the, the uh, hypnotizer and they describe a subliminal center that you're trained to see. And Jamie says, Oh, I, a what? <laughs> yeah. And that, that Jamie will totally do that. Um, periodically where he'll not know what something is, but he'll initially agree just to be agreeable. And then he'll have to ask what it is. Yeah, right. Right. Because he's <laughs> from the 17th century. Yeah. I love the fact that uh, in order to not be hypnotized by the screen, what you have to do is you have to hold your fingers in front of your eyes. Just you know, look through your fingers at it. And uh, that should save you. It breaks up the pattern. It must. Yeah, uh, but it breaks it. up the pattern just enough. Um, I, ha- I did say that um, the Cybermat sneaks up to, uh, on people an awful lot in this, especially considering how loud the darn things are. <laughs> like, can, yeah. you, can you not hear <laughs> that? Beeping. Because we're hearing that. <laughs> and, and, and it's, and they, it's, it's hard to see them having any visible means of harming anyone. I mean, they do like, and they're very creepy and they leap on people and it's scary <laughs> and you have people screaming and that's, that's all fine. But when you look at them, Okay, they have these teeth-like structures on the front, but they're yeah. clearly mm-hmm. made out of felt. <laughs> it reminds me of the scrubbing <laughs> bubbles. Remember the scrubbing yeah, bubbles? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They'll cross the scrubbing bubble with you know the killer bunny rabbit from Monty Python, and that's kind of what you got. Um, yeah. I wrote down, oh no, the tiny, very slow device I can leap over is blocking my way out the door. <laughs> well, <laughs> every once in a while, well, they make it move quickly. It's almost like they threw it onto the set. <laughs> yeah, they just kind of throw oh, it at the sometimes. actors. Yeah. 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 Um, They'll also like drag cyber mats with strings and some of them are like built around a toy that can walk right right i wondered if they did like magnets under the set or something like that where they had like that that uh, pathway where it almost like they had like a magnet that they were dragging it along or something like that it sometimes seemed like that i mean i don't think remote control technology was there oh no at the time where you could remote drive it so it had to have been a a combination of those things um I love the fact at one point that Doctor makes this terrible pun and apologizes for it because as someone who likes puns, he says, uh, you could say they had a complete metal breakdown and Jamie groans and then the Doctor apologizes to Jamie. (laughs) And I just thought that was so great. (laughs) That may have been ad lib. Oh, yeah. Uh, But but like you said, it's 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 that sort of uh, brothers uh, sort of Mm -hmm. uh, feel to it that where they're playing off each other. and then uh, at the end, you know, the as Klieg is you know trying to take control, the Doctor plays off that the vanity and pride of Klieg in order to undermine him, which is a, a very, um, uh, you know, it's very effective tactic. And, and I was sitting and noticing how many times do they have to get the drop on Klieg? They like they get the drop on him, they disarm him, they knock him out, they restrain him, like. They get half a dozen times, but Klieg still thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. Like he's the smartest man yeah. on earth. I'm like, um, it's not the Dunning so Kruger effect. Yeah, yes. <laughs> um, and then uh, by the end, I mean, it's the sort of that you expect. You know, that's pretty much what you expect. They end up um, take t- getting control of the Cybermen and getting them to go back after the Cyber Controller is is destroyed. They get the Cybermen to go back into their cocoons. And they they freeze the place again, and then they they seal up the 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 uh, the tomb. Except by the 
Oh, Good. by the way, that cocoon image of the Cybermen behind all the screens and stuff is later influences things like Dark Water, where we see the same kind of image. That's right. a callback to this episode. Right. Where they're in, it's in Dark Water. They're inside um, big tanks of water. Uh, yeah. And uh, their skeletons. And they emerge from those. Yeah. So what we see initially is skeletons sitting on throne like things. But as the water comes down, we see that it's actually Cybermen in there. Yeah. That that actually I, I was thinking of that. It's it's a it's a, um, an image that's repeated uh, very effectively. Um, they, so they 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 close the tomb up and there's a whole uh, bit where they have to. Um, uh, the, Toberman sacrifices his life to to close it because it's again, it, the doctor has to electrify it again uh, mm-hmm. so that no one opens it. And uh, no one else is strong enough to shut the doors. Right. And so he does and it, the, it. The cyber controller is trying to break out. Right. Right. And um, the, a cybermat does escape. A cybermat gets out. And they don't notice it. And so that's the sort of the, ah, uh, the cybermen will be the, back. The, the stinger for a future episode. Maybe. Right. Yeah. But one, the, one, thing, the thing that bugged me was that they left poor Toberman's body there. Like, take him yeah. back to Earth and give him a good burial. Don't just leave him in the dirt. Well, <laughs> oh, well, that's not the only thing that's bothersome about it. So the doctor says, um, this time it must be sealed forever, which would imply that you're going to up the security <laughs> or blow it up or something. Right. right. You know, um, and instead, the doctor just re-electrifies the stuff that was electrified before. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, OK, that didn't work previously. How's that going to keep it sealed forever? Maybe well, now there's, plan. Three, there's three things now that are electrified instead of just one. Yeah. But except well, they didn't wasn't the, the put it under the mountain again. Also electrified. No, okay, no, it wasn't. Well, I misremembered that. But still, it's not it's, it's this isn't a great plan. And what's more bizarre, and this, I guess, speaks to how the doctor changes over time. Um, the doctor says anyone who touches this is going to get a fatal shock. Right. So he's willing to kill explorers in the future to keep them out well, of there. You know, that it's that's something we talked about in New Who where, oh, the doctor doesn't touch a gun. He doesn't ever use a gun. Doctor used yeah. a gun a couple of times, or at least held a gun a couple of times in this episode. Right. Yeah. Right. And he's he uh, there's a famous Peter Davison episode where he actually kills a Cyberman by putting a gun exactly. to his chest. Oh, exactly. wow. Um, also, you know who else can use a gun? Victoria. Oh, yeah. 19th century young woman. Wow. She can use a gun. Good for her. Yeah. We didn't talk a lot about about the, her through the rest of this episode, uh, but she does have quite a bit of agency in this episode. She could. Oh, yeah. She she holds her own for being a brand new to this whole thing. And, and you know, out of out of her you know, element. There is a great scene, though, though. Um, I can't find it. I was trying to find it in the uh, script, but. Where the doctor comes to her, are, you know, are you enjoying this? Are you having fun? And she's like, oh, yes, yes. You know, and uh, where the doctor was actually really concerned about her. Of course, again, this was her first time being on the TARDIS and dealing with all this and and, you know, was really concerned about her. And she's like, oh, no, this is uh, I, I want to continue. You know, I, I don't want to go home, basically. Right. Yeah. I, I think there's even a line in there where the doctor says that the companions can go back to the TARDIS if they want. Right. There are a few times where she like she wants to she wants to go down into the hatch and they they yep. you know no you know you um there's no, there's no place for a lady to go and and a couple of those sorts of uh, things but but she's she's willing to to go wherever she needs to and uh uh and and do what needs to be done just like the rest of them so um 
you know, she's 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 holds her own here. Uh, how mm-hmm. long does Victoria stay with the doctor? Do, do you know? Or it's not a huge long time. I think it's. I'd have to check, but I think it's basically this season. Um, and then she go. She ends up staying with a family that they meet, and and then in the next episode, the new companion Zoe. Uh, is introduced and Zoe's there till the end okay. of the war games when we learn about right. the Time Lords. Right. Remember, and yes. Zoe is also introduced in a Cyberman um, episode. And she's from the future, our future. Yes. From yeah. the late, late 21st century. Right. I remember that. Or 22nd one. By the way, a couple of things I liked about the um, expedition that they have here. I like the fact that the writers are aware and included the fact that where you get your funding for science is important <laughs> yes. and that, that the, your funding source can have a deleterious effect on the science. Exactly. Um, <laughs> that was that was nice. Also, I like the fact that after the second man dies, Perry says this expedition is canceled. Right. And that's sanity. Yes. And, and I liked seeing that too. But of course they can't leave. We didn't mention because – uh, somebody has was it somebody has sabotaged the the, the spaceship, and right? And it, the extra American guy has to repair it, right? Right, and it's going yeah. to take seventy two hours, uh, which it apparently isn't because uh, it does. I mean, did it? Did, did they cover seventy two hours in this episode? It doesn't feel like they did. I mean, they they showed one night for sure where everybody was it, asleep. Yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, it didn't yeah. feel like it was really like they, they, uh, they paid off the seven, you know, that artificial constraint. You can't leave. Um, although I suppose if it, if things really got out of here and the doctor could have just taken them all into the TARDIS and taken them right. home that way, he stayed. Which has because, happened in some episodes. Right. But he stayed because he wanted to, to seal the Cybermen back in. That was his, that was why he wasn't uh, taking them all off. Yeah. Uh, okay. By the way, one note about the Cybermen. Um, so this is being classic era who the body forms of the Cybermen in this episode, except for the head, are basically a lot like the original Mondasian Cybermen that we mm-hmm. met. Yep. In this episode, they're not wearing cloth coverings. They're basically wetsuits that have been spray painted silver. Right. And But what's nice about that and what's different than later versions of the Cyberman is you can clearly tell there's a human being in there. Yeah. yeah. And that ups the body horror of all mm. of this, right. as does like the blood veins you can see in the cyber controllers, you know, brain case. Um, so so I really like that. I thought that when the cyber leader or the cyber controller does uh, come out of his chamber, he's a kind of a late arrival. Um, I thought it was is very effective as he just kind of staggers out mm-hmm. of his out of his chamber, kind of Frankenstein like, and and you see the blood vessels in his brain case, and then he like grabs Kleeg's hand and squeezes it and brings Kleeg to his knees, and with this buzzing voice, which is much more mechanically processed than the cyber voice we saw in the 10th planet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's really buzzy. Um, and he says, you belong to us. You shall be like us. And it, and it, I thought it was very effective body horror. Mm-hmm. I have to say about the voice, I found it difficult to understand a lot of the yeah. time. Yeah. I had to actually and, follow in the transcript to what was and, being and said. 
and some of the other Cybermen, they they talk, but it's kind of like just grunting. Well, with I was going to say buzzing. that yeah, there's there's points where there it's more just vocalizations than is actual words lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I kind of get it. Got a kick out of a. Uh, Going back to Victoria, there, there was a couple of scenes that I, I got a kick out of. First of all, she got so offended when the, the two Americans, quote unquote, would call her Vic. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she got upset about that. Of course, of course, they'd keep doing it. But the scene I, I love was at the, the beginning when she's reluctant to go in. Doctor goes up and compliments her on the dress. It's it's a little short, a bit short. I wouldn't worry about that. Look at Jamie's. And Jamie's like, hey, I'll have you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jamie wearing his kilt. Um, yeah, yeah I, I did. I, I thought it was funny that I did notice the whole thing about the, the nickname and sort of poking fun at the American tendency to to give everyone nicknames, uh, which is it, it was more of a difference, I think, back in the sixties than, than today, what, I think. What's right. your point, Dom? <laughs> I don't know, yeah. Jimmy. <laughs> well, okay, no, no, That's no. Not, but no. Mine's an even more extreme case because Jimmy is my legal name on my birth certificate. Oh, is it really? So, oh. Yeah, yeah. So I am so nicknamed. It is actually, my nickname is my legal name. <laughs> so James, James was actually your nickname. <laughs> yes. When you went by James Aiken. That's funny. I did not realize that. That's good. Yeah, the, the the but I I it would I see how it would be especially galling to a woman of the 19th century to have you know yeah. these what strange men yes <laughs> <laughs> these impertinent men um, that is good uh, anything else any other uh, bits that the uh, notes that you have uh... I one thing that I liked and then they kind of took the edge off it but there's a moment where the doctor is in the um, in the the tomb chamber. Uh, down in front of the cyber tombs, and he's confronting, uh, I believe it's Klieg at that moment, and he makes this gesture to someone behind Klieg, right? And 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 the and so the classic way to play the look behind you thing mm-hmm. is for the person to not realize that there's somebody there and have them disbelieve. Yeah. And what's nice about this about this is when the doctor makes the motion to whoever is behind Klieg and then Klieg turns around and there's nobody there. Yes. And 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 that is a fun mm-hmm. twist. But then they take the edge and what should have happened then is the doctor or Toberman attacks Klieg from behind. So the whole thing would have been a ruse to get him to turn his back. But instead, what happens is as as he's going, who's back there? Well, it turns out Jamie was out in the hallway and the doctor <laughs> yeah. was signaling to Jamie. It's right. like, oh, come on. Yeah, it would have been better if they didn't do that. Yeah. Um, okay. Anything else? Any other little bits, uh, pieces? Um, I got to say, I, I really enjoyed this. I like this episode, mm-hmm. this story. Um, it, it, uh, uh, it, it, it played well. I mean, it had um, a lot of the... Um, it, again, I think it benefits from being four episodes instead of yeah. six, so the pacing mm-hmm. was better. Um, and I really enjoyed Patrick Troughton. Is I, you were talking before about how his, like the the sort of the um the the he's a little more madcap. He reminds me a lot of Nick. I'm going to date myself again. He reminds me a lot of Columbo in his yes. sort of oh who me simple me. You know, he's sort of downplaying his own abilities in order to uh, make the his his the antagonists. Um, Overlooking, underestimating, underestimating. Mm. yeah, 
Yeah, and they even talk about that in like internal BBC memos when they were explaining to writers how to write for this doctor is like they made it really clear he is not Bill Hartnell. Um, he he's much humbler and, in fact, uses that and humor as a way of getting people to overlook his plans. OK, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I do. I, and I like that. I like that little bit of contrast. And that's really, I mean, when we get down to it, I mean, we uh, talking on the, on the broad scale of things. That's really one of the things that I think has, has lent Doctor Who its longevity, which is the, it's, it's fresh every, you know, every mm-hmm. time we have a new doctor, there's a, a, a refreshing change uh, to the show that, that gives it a more of a boost. And I, I know in this interim period, we keep bringing up, you know, that we have this new doctor coming and it's a, it's a it's a different doctor mm-hmm. than we've ever had before, um, and I'm hoping that it it's a, it's the same sort of thing that it's a refreshing well, boost as opposed to a disastrous and experiment. And we've commented on on that because of the whole thing with Peter Capaldi, where he came out so aggressive and yeah. so angry, yeah, and frankly, for some people, unlikable, um, that it really hurt the show. Yeah, and there, there there's a there's a really how they introduce Jodie uh, Whittaker is going to be really crucial to the survival of the show because they've had situations where like Colin Baker and Peter Capaldi, right. where they said, oh, let's introduce an abrasive doctor and make him likable over time. And it flamed out. Yeah, it, it was mm-hmm. a real problem. Um, in fact, the first time it almost killed the show. And um, and now there's this issue of if you look at the doctors in New Who, all of them are arrogant. Yeah. Um, You had in the original era, you had people like Patrick Troughton and Peter Davison and even to some extent, um, Sylvester McCoy, who could be humble. But Mm -hmm. all of the modern ones are arrogant. If you think about Matt Smith's, he's and the new who doctors tend to recapitulate some of the personalities of the old era doctors. And Matt Smith is most similar to Patrick Troughton. He has mm-hmm. the zany madcap thing, but he's also arrogant as heck. Yeah. And so now we've got an issue with Jodie Whittaker coming in. If they make her arrogant, you know, I am woman doctor, hear me roar. It's going to really alienate a mm-hmm. lot of the fans. On the other hand, if they if what they I think they need to do is make her humble unlike mm-hmm. any of the new who doctors. But then if they make her humble, SJW warriors will come down on them for making her too meek. Right. And right. so they've got a they're kind of between a rock and a hard place in terms of how to make this character likable. Right. But that's that's something that is a definite difference between classic and new who. And I was just watching a video from Council of Geeks about that, about the differences between classic and new. And one of his points yeah, was I saw that video it, too. It's a great video. And one of his points was you never heard in classic who of someone who knew who the doctor was. You never heard of, Oh, I heard a rumor of this doctor. This doctor is a person is a legend. You know, the only people who knew the doctor were the time Lords, you know, and right. it was, you never saw that. And now of course it knew who it's always, Oh, the doctor is this legend and he's in, you know, the TARDIS is in uh, stained glass and all these things. You never saw that in classic who at all. Right, that is true. You did you did occasionally in I mean it, it it's that's definitely true in the main. You do mm-hmm. occasionally run across people who know something about the doctor. In fact in in Tomb of the Cybermen they they already know who the doctor is because well, he thwarted a previous true. plan. 
but he's still not a legendary is, figure. But this is someone who had encountered the Doctor previously. This wasn't. Yeah, he's a legend. Of, you know, the Daleks where you know the, they know about him because of the tar- their big database, and now he's been wiped out of that database, and they don't know who he is. You know. So I, like I'll put a link to the uh, video that you're mentioning from uh, the Council of Geeks in the uh, show notes. And so you can check that out for yourself and uh, and you can see what we're talking about here. Um, this Council of Geeks is, is can be good. There's some good stuff there. He he covers a bunch of different of the. Thoughtful, uh, it's thoughtful criticism. Don't always yeah. agree, but it's right. thoughtful exactly. criticism. Yeah, exactly. That's what it is. So um, good. I think that uh, that takes us to the to the end of our discussion this time. Um, so, folks, as always, we'd love to hear from you. What did you think of the Tomb of the Cybermen or of our discussion? You have anything you want to add to uh, what we said or disagree? Agree? We we love when you do both or either. Uh, you know, if we you know we don't just we, not neither. Just not neither. We need to, we'd love it yep. if you have an opinion. <laughs> uh, so let us know. Uh, visit us at sqpn.com or go to the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, which you can find by searching for Secrets of Doctor Who on Facebook. Uh, leave us some feedback or uh, in the comments on the post there for the show or send us an email to Who at sqpn.com. Uh, you can find links to all our personal social media and uh, websites on our show notes on sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the 10th Doctor story, Fear Her, with the uh, the very timely 2012 London Olympics, <laughs> which at the time that this aired was in the future. Uh, so that's always fun. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Tom. Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. And thank you. And once again, I'm Don Bettinella. Bettinelli. Sorry. Thank you for listening. And remember the doctor's special technique, keeping our eyes open and our mouths shut. <laughs> when will I see you again? Uh, soon, I expect. Or later. One of those.